Hi, and welcome to Popaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. And we are back after our break. Basically, really was one show because then I did a special Mexico episode. As Kate and I found out, it's it's good to have time off so you can actually consume the stuff we're talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which we do anyways, but there's not, you know, it doesn't, you don't feel rushed to uh, be thinking about the things that you're consuming in a way that you can, you know, report on them. <laughs> Well, I'm going to lead off today uh, with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is in theaters now. This is the fifth installment in the franchise and the final one in which Harrison Ford, age 80, dons the brown fedora and picks up his bullwhip as adventurous archaeology professor. I'll get it out. You got it. Indiana Jones. This is also the first film in the franchise, not directed by Steven Spielberg. Instead, it's co-written and directed by James Mangold, who directed Ford versus Ferrari, which is a great movie. And Mm -hmm. then two Wolverine films in the X-Men franchise uh, and then other stuff. Right. So this movie opens during the waning days of World War Two. And as the Nazis Nazis. It always has to be Nazis. It always has to be Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to make off with uh, this lo- looted treasures, including a dial in- invented by the mathematician Ar- Ar- Archimedes. Well, it's going to be a hard day. They can supposedly bend the laws of space and time. Of course, Jones and his buddy, who are is an Oxford professor, have other ideas. Now, there's been some criticism of the these early scenes because they do a CGI de-aging of Harrison Ford, right? Okay. So he, he would be basically the same age, looks the same age as he was in the very first film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Uh, I personally thought it, it looked pretty good. I mean, if you compare it to some of the other CGI aging, de-aging stuff like Carrie Fisher in Star Wars, oh my God, that just looks so fake. But um, this, I thought if you didn't know what Harrison Ford looked like in real life and that he was 80, you could totally buy it that that it was, you know, a guy. Doing yeah. It. Yeah. So after that opening, the movie jumps to 1969 uh, and the Oxford professor's daughter shows up, a Helena Shaw, who is played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who mm-hmm. you know from. Fleabag. And yeah. refresh people's memory of Fleabag is. Fleabag was a, it was a two series or two season long show on Amazon Prime that Phoebe Waller-Bridge created and wrote and starred in. And it was, it was about this single woman in London dealing with trauma after the death of her friend. And she's trying to find her way. She's not really getting... I don't want to say she doesn't get along with her family, but dysfunctional family. And she breaks the fourth wall a lot throughout the entire series. And so it was really, it was, I would say it was kind of darkly comedic, but also really funny and and touching too. Originally, uh, originally a British show, right? Yeah. 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 So she plays daughter of the Oxford professor from the opening sequence. She mm-hmm. comes to New York City with a plan for she and Indiana, who is her godfather, to look for the dial. But an ex-Nazi scientist played by Mads Mikkelsen, we've talked about him on the podcast, um, mm-hmm. also wants it for nefarious purposes and all hell breaks loose. Is 
Dial of Destiny, the, the wow, oh my gosh, blockbuster we were hoping for, no. Uh, <laughs> it's a perfectly enjoyable adventure movie, uh, though, heavily nostalgic with uh, great action sequences, good pacing, and overt and sly references to the previous best films in the franchise. Waller Bridge's Helena is sassy, feisty, ready to get in there and mix it up with the guys in the same way that Karen Allen's Marion was in the very first movie. There's also a, si a kid sidekick, just like Short Round in Temple of Doom. Uh, there's even a sequence where Indiana has to confront his greatest fear, snakes. Sort of. And it's just fun and a little bittersweet to watch Harrison Ford play this character for the final time. He's good, good at being Indiana Jones. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of the franchise, I would rank uh, these movies from best to worst. Uh, Raiders, the best. Mm -hmm. uh, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail with Sean Connery, second. You mean Last Crusade? Uh, Last Crusade, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is the one with Short Round and um, uh, What's-Her-Face, who's married to Steven Spielberg now. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but I'm, I can picture her in my head. <laughs> yeah. And then then I would have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And then the the worst movie, which is pretty forgettable, is uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. That's the moment that yeah. Sheila Bush. It just wasn't it just wasn't good. It just, <laughs> it just wasn't, wasn't good. good. Like they wanted to make it to make money and it just wasn't. Yeah. Good. And so I'll say Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is far superior to Crystal Skull. I have a couple questions for you, Kate. Yeah. How many of these Indiana Jones movies have you seen? I've seen all of them except for Dial of Destiny. Okay. Uh, and I haven't seen Dial of Destiny yet because I think kind of the same misgivings. Like you want to, Indiana Jones is such a beloved character. And after, after Crystal Skulls, like, oh, I don't know. Like this one might not be, it might not be great <laughs> because, because Raiders and The Last Crusade were so so good and temple of temple of doom is not it's not my favorite indiana jones movie it's fine I, our rankings probably would be exactly the same but yeah it's hard to it's hard to go back to something when you have you know kind of a bad taste in your mouth from the last right. install. and so yeah i asked that because dial of destiny despite being a perfectly good movie is having kind of a lackluster performance at the box office yeah, um, my wife and I went to a showing uh, Sunday afternoon of the July Fourth holiday weekend. So that would normally be primo movie going time, and there were maybe twelve people in the theater. Yeah, almost all my age or older, except for one guy who looked like he was in his fifties, but he brought his dad who was in his seventies or eighties. Yeah, um, and you know, I just sort of wondered. You mentioned it's a a beloved character it is a beloved character uh, um, particularly with boomers and we tend to think that these movie franchises like indiana jones and star wars and jaws that they're incredible movies that everybody knows but sometimes if they're not boomers they don't i remember teaching an adjunct course on movies at this college and i made a star wars reference and this was a course on movies i made a star wars reference and i could tell half the class didn't get it so then yeah. I said, show of hands, how many of you have actually seen Star Wars? And there was like, of 30 kids, there was like a handful, you know, yeah. and that astounded me. But I mean, it also kind of showed me that 
you know, the stuff that's important to boomers, uh, you know, people who came after us often do not care. And I mean, how hard I would imagine if you're 15 or 16, it's going to be hard to get yourself worked up into a lather about an action hero who's in his, who's 80, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also too, like, I think with the, um, I can't think of the word, but with like streaming and all that right. stuff happening now, like I'm, we talked about it, I think the last episode where, or a few episodes ago where like my kid goes to the movies more than I do. Um, cause he usually like his other grandparents take him or whatever. Like, I think I can count on ha- one hand the amount of times that I have been to the movies in the past, like year, two years. <laughs> so I think it, there's a little bit of that too, which if you're, you know, if it's not streaming, especially with, with parents, like, you know, I know the Indiana Jones movies, cause that was, that were, they were classic, great movies that you all loved. And so then we watched them when they were on TV. And I think the older ones are streaming now on Disney Plus probably, but like I, a resident kid expert would be, he could probably watch them now, but I don't, I don't know if he would just be as interested just because he, you know, he likes more different stuff than I did. Actually, that would be good, a good experiment. I'll have to like make him sit down and watch them with me. We'll do that. We'll do have that. him watch Raiders and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, was uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And then I understand you actually, you did go to the theater and see something. I did go to the theater. So um, Resident Kid Expert and I went last week to see Across the Spider-Verse, which is the second movie in in the new Miles Morales as Spider-Man series. So Into the Spider-Verse came out four years ago. Great movie, great great animation style, great story. We might have talked about it a little bit, but basically, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Miles Morales is a young, mixed race, gentle gentleman from um, Brooklyn. Is he from Brooklyn or the Bronx? He's from from New York City. I can't remember where. Yeah. And so then he also gets bit by a spider, but it doesn't follow the same uh, trajectory as. Peter Parker. And then in the first movie, they, they uh, introduce into the Spider-Verse and he's not the only Spider-Man. There's There's tons of great spider Spider Spider-Pig and Spider-Pig, Noir Spider-Man. And so then in the second movie, it picks back up four years later. He, in the first movie, he's kind of a like early teen, preteen. And now he's a little bit older. His, he's supposed to start be, you know, be thinking about what he's going to do after high school, la la la. But he's really embraced just being Spider-Man. And so he's, you know, he is struggling a little bit with keeping his adventures from his parents. So there was a lot of them trying to figure out how to talk to each other. But then also there's, I don't want to give anything away, but they take the Spider-Men multiverse, multiple Spider-Mans, to a whole new level. And so there's like hundreds of variations of Spider-Man in this one. Now, this is a really good little um, blurb. So after reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn, it is Brooklyn, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very very existence. 
However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, which kind of was Miles' fault accidentally, he finds himself pitted against the other spider spider people, and it goes from there. Voice actors include uh, Shamik Moore as Miles Morales, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy. You'll you'll recognize voices. Um, Oscar Isaac is one of the spider people in this one. He's very scary and very good, and so. It was, there's uh, a big cliffhanger at the end where Resident Kid Expert and I both, you know, were so engrossed and watching the conflict happen on, on the screen and the, the, just all the different animation styles and the backgrounds and the lighting is like, it's so, it's just really good. And then the cliffhanger happens in the end and we both in the theater went, <gasps> And like, look to these guys. Yeah, go ahead. So, the third one is going to come out, I think, early next year. Oh, and I forgot to mention my favorite variation, I think, of the Spider People is uh, Daniel Kalua, who he's part of Black Panther. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, He was in um, Nope, I think, is what it was. Was he in Get Out, Out too? I can't remember. Get Out, yeah. he plays Spider Punk, and Spider Punk is so cool, Dad. You can barely understand a word he says, but <laughs> the like the attitude and his his story arc is just really cool. And so, both Resident Kid Expert and I would recommend you got to go see it. it. You definitely need to see it in theaters. We didn't see the first one in theaters. We waited until it was on, you know, Netflix or whatever. But these are these are movies that deserve to be seen on the big screen, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of streaming, I'm going to talk about a 2022 movie that's available on prime and for rental violent night. Okay. So obviously with that play on silent night, it is a a Christmas uh, themed movie. So you can have Uh Christmas in July here, David Harbor. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, David Harbour. Who plays Hopper on Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. He is the Santa, but he's an embittered, drunken one, ready to hang it up after doing one more Christmas. As he's making his rounds on Christmas Eve, a team of mercenaries led by John Legazamo. Uh, yeah, breaks into the con- Okay, breaks into the compound of a rich family, taking everyone hostage. However, a little girl in the family, played by Leah Brady, manages to get a message to Santa, and he's about to give the naughty villains more than coal in their stockings. They better watch out. (laughs) Okay, so this is an action comedy. Parts of it are very funny. Harbor plays bumbling action heroes really well. And he yeah. brings that to this 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 version of Santa. And as we know from his interactions with uh, Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven on Stranger Things, he also has a knack for playing tender, heartwarming moments with kids. And so <laughs> that's true of his scenes with uh, Leah Brady. This movie, though, is super violent, as in gross out violent at times. It's also uneven in uh, execution. And... When you try to juggle that, that violence and the heartwarming moments and the comedy just doesn't quite work. I found it, I found it an interesting movie, but not one that I would go, hey, go, go and see this. Yeah. Um, 
if you're only going to watch one movie about an embittered, bittersweet, ass-kicking Santa Kate, I would yeah. recommend an alternative, The Underrated Fat Man with Mel Gibson as Chris Kringle. Uh, in this movie, a 12-year-old upset about getting a lump of coal in his Christmas stocking hires a hitman to take Santa out. The hitman is played by uh, Walton Goggins of Justified the Shield, Vice Principals, a bunch of other shows. Mm -hmm. uh, the movie is very dark, uh, satirical, uh, frankly, kind of bizarre. There's an, But there's a lot of cool things about it. I mean, Mel Gibson is wonderful as a grizzled, battle-weary Santa. And there's a interracial romance with Mrs. Claus. And it's just never, there's nothing, I mean, it's just something everybody accepts, you know? Pretty yeah. cool. So that is uh, a fat man, which I think you can uh, rent. All cool. right. To you. Okay. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to talk about today is I've been watching season two of The Bear on Hulu. Hulu. There you go. <laughs> we I watched the first season last summer, and then I think I just completely forgot to say anything on the pod. So for those who have not heard of it the bear is there are my notes is about carmi berzato an award-winning fine dining chef who takes over his family's struggling sandwich shop the original beef of chicago land after the tragic death of his older brother season one was all about him coming back home learning how to deal with a, a very rough around the edges crew we, we, we could even say just a rough crew, not even around the edges. They're all tough. They're all sassy. They're there's all... a lot of yelling in this series. There's a lot of yelling. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he's learning how to work with them. He's learning how to do that and also deal with his own grief, with their grief, because they worked with his... Obviously, they worked with his older brother. And uh, the older brother, by the way, is played by John Berenthal? Berenthal? No, oh, we talk yeah. about him a lot. He's the Punisher. He was in The Walking Dead. Yeah. He's a very talented actor. So he pops up every now and again in flashbacks. And so then season two picks up where Kermi has decided to transform the beef into the bear, uh, an upscale dining concept. And so now there's still yelling. There's added pressure. They're trying to open in time. They've got to get all these permits. They have to you know, pass all of these tests, safety tests. He's still grieving. His, I am not well-versed. I worked in a kitchen when I was in high school, but I was dishwashing. I wasn't part of the line. So I don't know, like, you know, the different types of chef. But so he has his like number two. She's trying to figure out how to work with him and find her way and be more confident. And, and it's so good. Season two has a ton of cameos throughout. I think I've noticed somebody in almost every episode where I'm like, oh my God, hey. <laughs> so like the one, I don't want to say which episode, but I just was watching one, Dad. Uh, and Olivia, oh, Oscar-winning actress, Olivia Coleman pops up. Oh, wow. Uh, just for, you know, for a five-minute scene, if that. And it was so good. And so, you know, I, like I said before, I haven't worked in a restaurant like that. But it is it is a very high pace, high-stress environment. But the people that do it, do it because they love it. You know, besides the restaurant business, it's also a show about food, about family. 
I wrote chaos and passion, loving it. And so, <laughs> so that is the bear on Hulu. Cool. I recently went back and we watched um, Peggy Sue Got Married, which is from 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available for rental. This movie, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, has the theme, if you knew then what you know now, would you live your life differently? Kathleen Turner plays the title character. She attends her 25th high school reunion. She's in the process of getting her divorce from her husband, Nicholas Cage, who plays Crazy Charlie, an appliance store guy. And she faints and she wakes up in 1960, right? So now she still remembers everything that happened back right. to her in this time. So is she going to still wind up with Charlie uh, or is she going to hook up with the handsome motorcycle riding uh, beat guy? Is she ever going to figure out that her two best friends in this movie have almost no personalities? So I liked Peggy Sue when I first saw it. There's some nice humor with Peggy Sue's middle-aged self reacting to her teenage dilemmas, right? Yeah. But this time around, a few things jumped out at me. When she wakes up in 1960, she still looks like a middle-aged Kathleen Turner. And there's no scene where she like looks in a mirror and sees a teenage version of herself. And that's the one everybody's seeing. No, yeah. she looks like a middle-aged woman. And of course, so whenever Kathleen Turner's interacting with like her uh, parents, they're all the same age. It is very weird. Then despite the movie's theme, Peggy Sue doesn't just demonstrate a lot of agency. agency. She's pretty much passive, actually kind of, drifting from one thing to another. And when she returns to the present via a very wacky sequence involving her grandfather, I mean, it's so wacky, it almost should be in a different movie. Uh, she doesn't seem to have learned much from the whole whole going back in time thing. Nicholas Cage miscast as the 1960s Charlie, who despite his musical aspirations and his cool car is kind of boring. Um, he would have been better as the brooding beat guy. And he has a he has a couple of those weird Nicolas Cage moments. Like he sneaks into Peggy uh, Sue's room when she's asleep, and he picks up the pillow, and it looks like he might try to smother her. You know, it's just a weird yeah. a weird little Nicolas Cage thing. It's fun to see Sofia Coppola as the kid's sister, knowing you know she's going to go on to uh, be a director herself. Yeah, um, and musician Marshall Crenshaw, um, who sings the Buddy Holly S theme and appears as a band member in the reunion scenes. So all told, um, compared to Turner and Coppola's other films, Peggy Sue Got Married is pleasant, nostalgic, but hasn't aged that well. If you want to go back to the future, go back with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> you were so proud of that. I was very proud of that. All right. Kate, where can yeah, yeah. you find us? People can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Papaholics Podcast, on Twitter at Papaholics. And then please, if you have any um, suggestions for what we should be watching, reading, listening to, shoot us an email to papaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Just remember, Kate, it's not the years, it's the mileage, to quote Indiana Jones. So for <laughs> Papaholics, I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. Bye.